And welcome back, folks, to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. I'm Kevin. With me, as usual, are Nick and Jess. Guys, how are y'all doing? Hey. Nick's, Nick says hey. Ha ha. Good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm great. I am great. Jess very, is very, very good. good. Very good. I'm very, very good. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And uh, I guess sort of sorry about that uh, outburst at the beginning, but I just didn't want that like really awkward moment where Jess and I decide who wants to speak first, but we do it on our own silently. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the initiative there. That was very, that was very thoughtful yeah. of you. Very, uh, very, very charismatic, chivalric, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you're welcome. Cool. Well, folks, this is a bonus episode uh, for us for the month of December. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Um, we are going to be <laughs> faux free, folks. You don't even have to pay for this shit. We're going to be talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that uh, came out very recently. So if you have found us by uh, Google search and reviews for the movie and clicking until, I don't know, like the, like the 50th page of Google, we're surely in like the top like 1,000 hits for this thing, I would think. Um, but who knows? Uh, thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. We're going to be talking, talking some about Spider-Verse stuff. You're coming to us from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Please take a moment, subscribe, rate us, and review us. We'd love to hear your thoughts, and so on and so forth. Um, if you haven't already checked out multiversitycomics.com, where we're hosted, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and do that. Pause the podcast if you have to. Multiversity is your home for all sorts of news, reviews, and other fun think pieces about comics, manga, and other entertainment things. Uh, they've also, the last few weeks, been running their best of 2018 uh, pieces, which the three of us voted and participated in. A uh, ton of fun uh, pieces, ton of a bu- bunch of things being celebrated here at the end of the year. So check all that out. Uh, but tonight, we're going to be talking about Into the Spider-Verse, which I just saw three hours ago. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, directed by three different people, by Bob Preschetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rodham, and then credited as being written by Phil Lord and Rodham with a story from Lord, although we know that Christopher Miller, uh, who is one of Lord's uh, frequent collaborators, also had a hand in a lot of this as well. This was a team effort. So with that... Guys, why do we still have live action movies? Why are they even trying to make any <laughs> other superhero movies at this point? They they peaked. These are the this is it. They peaked. I, yeah. This is it. That's it. Genuinely, I'm I don't even want to see any other I don't superhero either. Never movies. Never again. Ever again. Yeah. No, I'm done. This is it. This is peak superhero <laughs> for me. If, if you if you're gonna make one and it's not this, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, this might be the last time we ever talk about any other sort of entertainment thing on this show. That's it, we're not talking about any other Marvel movies ever again. It's over. Oh, I guess like the sequels to this we might talk about. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, so uh, we'll kind of go, Nick, we'll start with you. What were some of your sort of just like initial thoughts, reactions? Obviously, we all loved the movie. I think that you can tell if you haven't figured (laughs) that out now, you should maybe check yourself. But uh, so Nick, yeah, why don't you go ahead? What are some of your initial thoughts? And then we'll get into a deeper discussion. Um, So first off, I saw the movie with my parents and both of them loved it also. so I think that's cool. And I think like pretty much everybody in the audience, I live in a place where there's like a pretty high amount of old people. Um, and even like the old people in the audience were like, 
loving it. And that like really surprised me. Um, but yeah, for me personally, I just literally everything about the movie was like almost unbelievably great. <laughs> um, particularly the visuals and the colors and like color schemes. You never see, I, I've never seen anything that looks like this before. No. Um, I think my, my favorite movie is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And I just love the way that it, it feels like sort of like a comic book in live action, like just the bombastic, like it just insanity of it. And I feel like this does the same sort of thing where it's adapting like the feeling of a comic book into an actual movie. Um, so those were my initial Definitely. Ones. Definitely. And Jess, what, what about you? You don't watch a lot of comic book movies. So this is, I have to back. I don't, and I have to back up everything Nick said because one of my biggest nitpicks with like every Marvel movie is that it just doesn't feel like an actual comic book adaptation. It just feels like they vaguely know who these characters are, so they put them in a big, giant, empty action movie to make a lot of money. And for me, like when I think of like comic book adaptations, like for me, um, Scott Pilgrim and American Splendor are really high up on that list. Um, this to me overtakes both of them. Like this is like, um, this is like an actual comic book movie. And that's not what a lot of other superhero movies are. And there is a difference between comic book adaptation and then like something in the superhero genre. I think this is the best superhero movie ever made. And I don't even think it's close. Like, I don't think anything gets close. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think anything gets close. Like this was... It was not only an incredible Spider-Man story, it was just, I- I've never seen comic book art um, put on screen like that while still feeling like an original vision by the animators. Like everything Spider, uh, everything Spider-Gwen does, that's the comic book. That That's it. Like just her poses, her facial expressions, um, her origin story, which is like the best thing yeah. in that movie. I love yeah. that. Um it's perfect like it's it's the comic book and you never see that if you watch like any avengers movie it's like okay they they vaguely lifted things from the stories but none of those designs none none of what it looks like ever feels like a comic book to me and comic books are such an amazing visual medium that it seems kind of sad that the movies don't embrace that this one absolutely embraces that it's amazing no i i i totally agree with that and i definitely agree with 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 both of you and and would echo what 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 both of you are saying like this i think yeah the way you put it just like this is a comic book movie insofar as like this is a movie that looks like a comic book and feels like a like a moving comic um, which I just think is, I just think is gorgeous. And like, you see, you see, like, you just brought up the, the Spider-Gwen thing. Like when, like, there's all those origin stories of all these characters that are told, like they plop like the cover page of like an issue of a comic book down. And like the cover for Spider-Gwen's have like Jason Latour's name and Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi. Like, and then like the origin, like adapted, like the color palette of that book. Like it was just, it was so gorgeous. Um, like everything about this, this film was gorgeous. I think, I, I tweeted this earlier as I as I walked out. I was like, this might be the the best movie going experience that I have had since I was a kid and like saw Spy Kids three in three D and just like saw three D for the first time <laughs> uh, and just and like loved that. Like that's like I guess like 
that's something like when I went to the theater as a kid, I remember like going and like, oh, this is like something new. This is something I've never seen before. And that's how I felt like watching this movie. It was just, it was gorgeous. All of these characters are like exactly who they are and who they're supposed to be. Uh, and like, I, I just think it's, for me personally, I just think it's so telling uh, that like my favorite now, like superhero movies are ones that were made by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Like, I think before this, before this movie, like the, I would say maybe that like the Lego Batman movie was probably like my favorite, like superhero movie. And that is maybe, that's maybe a hot take. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, no, that, no that's, that's a good. great, that's a great movie. That was my number like, one on the voting oh, yeah. last year. Perfect. I'm in good company then. Um, yeah, because like I like I like the like the live action Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and and some other like live action superhero movies. They do something different for me than this did though. This was like watching a comic book happen, and I I loved I loved that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and bouncing off of those thoughts, um, I always I've probably said this on the show before, but I think of superhero movies not as like movies that are trying to emulate the feeling of comic books, but rather they take like the general stories and then they apply it to sort of generic action blockbuster movie format. Oh yeah. So yeah. So this is like, instead of doing that, it's like actually doing the comic book. This is like almost a, a, like a very faithful, like almost like word for word at in some ways adaptation of like, Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Sarah Bacelli's like first arc on like the ultimate yeah the first yeah year. like the first like when like Miles is discovering his powers and he's still um you know like very much loves his uncle and like realizing that his uncle is the Prowler although I guess like this version of the Prowler Prowler is a lot more yeah. forgivable character than the one that 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 Bendis and Bacelli created um but but still like yeah like this is. And like that, like that whole storyline and then like spliced with Dan Slott's like Spider-Verse stuff, sort of, um, that's taken more liberally. But uh, yeah, like, yeah, like exactly what you're saying, Nick, like the live action movies are movies where it's like they have comic book influences. And this was like a movie that took a comic book storyline and, and ran with it and then did other things with it. What What's really great about that movie, too, is that it's a giant crossover and you didn't need six movies to get there. Like, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to be like super sarcastic here when I say that, because like there is, there is uh, something useful in taking your time to introduce your characters and things like that. But this movie, like, just understood what it needed to do, and it understood that we all know how Spider-Man became Spider-Man. Like, it didn't insult the audience. It's like, no, you've seen enough Spider-Man movies. You know about Uncle Ben. You know about Mary Jane. You know about May. You know about everything. You know who Doc Ock is. So if we just throw in some alternate version of that that you're fine with it you know who that is and i like that it didn't like feel the need to build everything from the ground up of things we already knew it took miles and built him from the ground up because he is a brand new character but it did that in doing this big crossover that didn't feel hollow and that's so cool to me yeah i'm just glad that we didn't have to see the wayans die again (laughs) (laughs) those goddamn pearls oh Oh. I feel like, could you imagine Miles dealing with that again? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And even, even like, like when they go through like the origin of like, of like Miles's world's Peter Parker, 
like that's that that whole section was beautiful too because it looked like all the like ultimate stuff that men that that bendis did like like uh uncle ben walks off into like the white light and like you know peter dies at like the hands of a more like hulked out godzilla looking you know green goblin but like still like it almost like adapted sort of like the death of spider-man story in some ways too like it just like felt Oh, so, man. I so absolutely. I mean, I mean, I don't know how far we want to jump into this, but I absolutely loved how different Miles's Spider-Man, Miles's Peter Parker was to the Peter Parker that shows up. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was because, like, but Miles's Peter Parker was voiced by Chris Pine, which I didn't realize until yeah. after. Yeah, and, and he's like perfect in every way. Yeah. He's got a layer, and he's got like his shit together, mm-hmm. and. And then, like, the Peter that shows up is, like, my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, so, so say... That, that's my that's my Peter Parker. That If I wrote Spider-Man as a 40-year-old, that is my Peter <laughs> Parker. Oh. So, was, so say more about it. Like, was that your your favorite, favorite part of the movie, favorite aspect, was washed up Peter Parker? That was, like, one of my favorite things about it, because if you, like, if you're a big Spider-Man fan, if you've read a good amount of comics, like, Spider-Man does not have his shit together. He never does. Like, Peter Parker's a mess. He he really lets being Spider-Man kind of be the thing that drives him, and it, it messes up a lot of other parts of his life, so he never has a great job. His, his uh, relationship with Mary Jane always ends up getting pushed to the side. And it's, like, to see him be, like, a pretty good Spider-Man, but, like, come in and be, like, almost 40 and be just broke and alone and sad. It's, like, yeah, that's a natural progression for that character if in your head you've always seen him like that with that Parker luck and just kind of always pushing Spider-Man as, like, the thing that he's – that's the only thing he's good at. So I love that, like that Peter Parker. And then he has a heart. So it's not like he's sarcastic and sad, but without a heart. Like he really does care about Miles. And you believe like he really is like towards the end, he is going to sacrifice himself. He's ready to do it. And that's like, that's, that's Spider-Man to me. He doesn't have to, but he's going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> yeah. he thinks that's what he needs to do. And just like that, that's, that's, I, I've never wanted to cosplay Spider-Man, but I want to cosplay that Spider-Man. I want to get my sweatpants out. I want to that. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's, this is the Spider-Man that you would expect if, uh, like if Spider-Man hadn't been one more day or something. No. And like, if, if they progress, like, I mean, so like, we'll probably talk about this another time, but like Chip Zdarsky's doing that Spider-Man series where he's taking him through like his whole life in like real time. And like, I love that because I think he's going to get to that. Like, I think he's going to, like, he's going to give us that Peter Parker. Like, if you let Peter Parker age the way he was supposed to, like, from, like, when his story starts, like, all the way back when Stan Lee was still writing it to, like, now, like, you aged him, like, that is definitely the guy he would be. Like, Miles as Peter is, like, that's a wonderkind. Like, he's just, like, he's got it together, you know? He's young, he knows what he's doing, he's got it. That's not really the Peter Parker that I always think of. So, yeah, I really love that Peter Parker. Like, I'd, I'd watch him in any movie. <laughs> I want to go, I, like, I want, like, I when the movie was over, I was like, he goes to Mary Jane's and he has, like, the flowers. And I'm like, oh, my God, but I want to know if he gets her back. Like, I want to believe in this guy. <laughs> my only thought was, like, she's totally going to turn him away. Oh, no, Uh-oh. I can't. I want him to get her back. Because yeah. he, cause he knows now he's going to try so hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
I think uh, I think for me, I'm trying to like. I was having such a hard time like picking out like ask because I just I loved so much of this movie and I I cried through a lot of it because um, I'm a sucker. <laughs> uh, uh, I think like badass Aunt May might be my favorite part of the movie. Oh yes, <laughs> like that. Uh, like that she just like like her Peter died but like she's fully ready to like embrace the fact that she still has a role to play in this whole in this whole fight and in this whole thing um when all the you know all the alternate universe spider spider people come to her and then like that alternate the alternate Peter comes comes to her and all this stuff and she's still and then like when Miles goes back to the like to the shed at the end of the movie to like get um i should have said we were going to talk spoilers we're obviously talking spoilers people might have figured that out by now whatever um at the end of the movie like when when miles goes like back to the shed to like try to steal one of the spider-man costumes and she's just like sitting there in the chair with her coffee and she's just like i was waiting for you to show up um like that seems like such a better version of of aunt may to me than um than like the current like comics one because like that was like that was like in Ben, like in Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man runs. Like Aunt May is very much at some point, very much does know that like that Peter is Spider-Man, and uh, she like is because she's like adopted like Gwen Stacy and um, and like Iceman and like the Human Torch. Like she's just kind of like opened her home up as this like halfway house to like heroes and stuff. Like she's very much active in this whole um, whole you know enterprise or whatever. Um, and I think because then I guess like before one more day, she also was too. Like she had her, she had her memory. She knew that Peter, that she knew that Peter was, was Spider-Man and like current continuity stuff. I'm sure that she probably knows, but she's like not, she doesn't actively sort of like forecast that she knows that Peter is Spider-Man. And I think there's just like something lost where like the, some of the main supporting cast like don't know all of what's going on, I guess. Like it seems like played out, especially when you can have moments like this, but that might be me. Yeah, so I want to sort of build off something that Jess was talking about before, um, about how, like, they didn't need to, like, go into the deep details of, like, rehashing a bunch of origins. Um, And I just, I think it's so interesting how they were able to um, make this, like, late-in-life adaptation. Like, the entire world has been built outside of what you're seeing, but you see sort of the effects and that sort of ties into what you were just saying, Kevin, um, with like Aunt May, um, like all these characters, like they have full stories. You don't need to watch them grow. It's just, you're seeing a character, they're already fully developed and they're just acting. And that a lot of the time is what you get when you read a comic book. Um, like there's all this history that's behind it, but if you just let go and have fun, like you'll figure it out. And they really, captured that feeling and in a way that made it really accessible too um and it actually it reminded me like we were saying before of the first year of the bendis ultimate comic spider-man uh which is some of the first marvel like comics that i read i started reading the miles stuff in singles like less than a year into the run um it also reminded me of the under the red hood uh adaptation of that batman story um, because yeah, that too, it started like late in the life, but it caught you up on like, okay, Nightwing was Robin. And then like 
this new character was Robin and he died. And like, here's this other story that's going on. Um, yeah. And that's just something that we don't get very often with superhero movies. Um, and then to compare to another movie like Batman versus Superman tried to do that with Batman, but like, we don't even need to get into it because that movie was just bad. <laughs> it did it bad. <laughs> and yeah, this was into the spider verse was doing that sort of thing very well. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how it was that I felt. I mean, because like, so like all three of us are avid c- comic readers, um, but I was watching a lot of people on Twitter and like in other places talk about how much they loved this movie. And, I'm, and after I left, I was like, there's a like, there's a lot of like sort of complicated sort of like comic booky things that are going on. Um, like all the like weird multiverse shit, all these like random inspired people showing up out of nowhere. And I was, and like, but as I was watching it, like, it seemed so accessible and like, they were explaining some things, but they weren't like over explaining other things. And I was wondering, like, if somebody was watching this, who didn't really have like a comic book background or didn't know like a ton about Spider-Man, like, would they be able to follow this? And I think the answer is yes. And I haven't a hundred percent been able to figure out why like nick you pointed to like to like batman movie superman and i just think of of like the two like amazing spider-man movies with andrew garfield that like tried to build a whole world in two movies and like over explained a lot of stuff and were also like really bad um and it's like i was i don't i i still don't know that i fully understand how it is that this movie was was so accessible in a way that was like beautiful and like not over explaining, like trusted the audience to be able to figure out enough stuff by themselves. Um, but like was also able to like juggle sort of like all these high concept things. And I think part of it is because it was just like, so character focused. Like the, the plot was like, it was like all about miles and it was all about like yeah. older washed up Peter Parker stuff. And that's and- usually, I think in these sorts of stories where like, there's a character entering this grand new world that is already like existing before them. Um, That character becomes the audience surrogate and like through miles learning about all these other people and where they're from, the audience learns it too. Um, But it it can definitely be overdone like in um, like the Andrew Garfield, amazing Spider-Man movies um, where like, it's just over explaining a lot of things. Uh, but yeah, they just, they found the right balance here. Yeah. Just, just what do you think? Do you think if somebody who came to watch this movie, didn't know a lot about Spider-Man, would they be able to follow all the stuff? I think so. And I think that the Prowler twist would have hit them even harder, mm. which is good. Oh, See, yeah. Like I knew it. So like, it, it wasn't like, I mean, they, they executed it really well. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I just, there, the surprise of it wasn't there for me, but the emotional part of it was definitely there. I mean, Miles is trying so hard and like, he figures this out and like, it's just, it's good. It's a good, it's a good twist. Um, But like, I think that would have hit people mm-hmm. much harder if they didn't know. Like I knew, like, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. I my know this, my but, mom um, during the Prowler twist, she like turned to me, she like very loudly gasped and she goes, oh, that's his uncle. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing. See, like, and that's like, and that's like the time where I, I hate that I read so many comics. Cause I would have been like, I would have been the same way, but like, oh my God, it's like, it's awesome. Like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that it was like that. I, I think I think that uh, general audiences should get a little bit more credit than they do, especially like the superhero genre audiences, because 
there's so much being thrown at those viewers and like um it's not that difficult to understand and i think that a lot of the the mcu movies are like no we have to hold your hand because you know thanos is gonna do this thing but we have to explain every little piece of it or you're gonna be confused and um I don't think you need to do that. And that's why I really like this movie too. It doesn't, it just tells you like, yeah, they're all from different dimensions and now we have to stop the portal thing. That's all you yeah. need to know. And that's all <laughs> yeah. it tells you. It doesn't like try to come up with like, so like they're, like the alternate version of Doc Ock that's in it. Like she doesn't spend a half hour explaining to you um, how the portal actually works. <laughs> like there's no fake science to explain it, which I mean, I guess some people are into that, but I'm not like, I, it's a superhero movie. Just give me what I need to know raise the stakes, get me emotionally invested, and it does that. Like, it's a, it's a thing. They come through. That's all you need to know. The perfect example <laughs> of that is the goober. Like, it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. it is. It's just a goober. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just what, that's like, exactly. It's like, oh, you gotta put that thing in there, and it shuts the whole thing down. That's all you need to know. It's like, that's exactly. I thought he was saying, like, the MacGuffin. <laughs> like, oh, like, he was saying, like, like the guffin. Like, I thought he was saying, like, something related to that, but, like, when he was calling it a goober. And I was just like, oh, like, they're just, like, being meta. Like, this is the thing that's gonna fix the thing. Mm-hmm. It's and that's and I, I love that because that's really all you need. Like that's that's it. Just that's it. It's all you need. Mm-hmm. And it's it's, it's similar to um, one of the producers, maybe director, writer. I I forget. But of this was also like a higher up in the Lego Movie, and it's the same thing with the special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phil, oh, yeah, Phil yeah. Lord and, and Christopher Miller directed the Lego Movie. So and Lord's the guy who wrote the script with. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and this is what it made me think of too. Like, I think that we lo- that that comic people, like, we try to pretend that like the continuity, all the continuity is just like such a burden and like completely unexplainable and like unapproachable to people. And in some cases, like with some characters who just like their stories have been so fucked up by like reboots and weird events, like that is that is somewhat true. But I think like the fact, like the fact of the matter is, is like you can you can tell stories that have crazy concepts and, and tell them in a way that people aren't try- constantly trying to figure out where this, like where this happens or how this happens or like whatever. And like, they're just like so in to the story and just like so centered in what was going on. Like I had to watch, um, not, oh, I, yeah, had to, I, cause I've been interviewing Titans for like multiversity or whatever. And um, there was a moment in my, in my last review that went up this week where I had a moment like, I'm like constant where I said like something like I'm constantly guessing or like, like pointing out like all the like plot holes in this story uh, because there are a lot of them. And as I was like riding the train back to my apartment uh, from this movie, I was like, I was like sort of like starting to think like, wait a minute, like this, this doesn't make sense with spider, like in spider, like blah, blah, blah. And then I get to the point like, not, none of that matters because like, I was like the enjoyment of this story was so good that thinking about like the plot holes or the continuity stuff or the, the whatever else that like wasn't explained just doesn't matter because everything else was just like done so beautifully. Yeah. I, I still, I don't fully understand like what Kingpin's plot was or like, like what he wanted. Like I, I understood his background that like him fighting Spider-Man caused like trouble with, uh, his family who ran away and then they got into a car car accident and that all happened in like 20 seconds. Um, but yeah, I, I think beyond that, I was still like confused about overall what he wanted, but I also feel like, again, that didn't really matter because we knew what the 
heroes needed. We knew that it needed to be stopped. And that's like the emotional journeys. There were other emotional journeys laid layered on top of that, which were a lot more important and a lot more satisfying anyway. So as long as you're following those, it doesn't really matter what's happening like on the basis level. Yeah. Like I think like as much as I really did love this movie, it was, it's, it's fantastic, but you're right about the kingpin thing. I think that that's like the flimsiest part of the movie, but you're right. It does so much in getting you invested in what they have to do. And the fact that like the heroes are glitching out if they don't go back. So like, it's not like, Oh, well, whatever. It's like, no, no, no. The heroes have to get back. It doesn't matter what kingpin's up to, but they have to get back or they're going to die. And that's, that's enough. Like that's enough of a high stake to keep the story going. And then on top of like miles becoming Spider-Man and, and like kingpin, First of all, I absolutely adore that design. That was so great. It's so funny. He's like, he's like a van. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's the best way to put that. That's so good. And like the fact yeah, that he's yeah. not like. So I love the Daredevil show. I'm really sad that it's gone, but like Vincent D'Onofrio is fantastic. But all that he really is missing is a really thick. New York accent and this Kingpin had it and it was wonderful I was like of course Kingpin has a really thick New York accent he's from like he's from nothing he lies and steals and murders and cheats his way to being a somebody but he's still a nobody from like wherever so he still has that part of him like that's what the accent means to me at least from looking at his character and that's great and his reasoning is kind of flimsy. Like there really isn't a lot like with Vanessa and his son. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So he wants to go get like an alternate version, even though they won't really know who he is because they're not from his, his universe, whatever. It's enough. And the fact that he murders a Peter Parker is like, no, 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 this is a bad guy. We have to stop him. Like it's enough. It's enough. It's, it's not perfect, but it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with all that too. Like I, I was sort of, yeah, like, I agree with you, Nick. Like, I was sort of left wanting, like, like, okay, he's trying to, like, bring a version of his family back, but, like, it's not really working. And then there's this huge fight, and then they're fighting, and yada, yada, yada. Um, and that, and, and like, I agree. Like, I, I never got to the point that I was, like, oh, like, the fact that there are, like, seven villains in this movie is detracting from, like, my enjoyment of the movie. Like there have been times that I've watched superhero movies that if like, cause the plot is so unwieldy and there's so many different antagonists that like that takes away from the enjoyment of the Ant-Man film. And the Wasp. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, is being the most recent one, I guess. Um, and the aforementioned amazing Spider-Man too. Uh, <laughs> but like in this, like, you know, you have like, you have Kingpin and you have Prowler and you have, um, you know, Mrs. Doctor, Doctor, Doc Ock, and like scorpion and hammerhead and like and probably other others that i'm missing but like that never alongside like five different spider people like and that never detracts from like the enjoyment and sort of like this the streamline of 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 what's going on and also talking about the spider people themselves they were specifically picked so that they would be very different from each other like you you won't get confused about who's who because Spider-Gwen is very different from Miles, who's very different from Peter Parker, who's very different from the noir guy and the pig and Spider-Ham and uh, the anime one. Evangelion. Like, there is no way... <laughs> Evangelion. Yeah. 
There was no way that you could ever confuse any of those for one of the others, which is all that you need to make them, I think, uh, stand out. Wait, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you get what I mean. Yeah. Like they're they're all unique. Like as far as the other uh, spider characters go, this is like my only other nitpick of the movie, and it's not even a huge one, honestly. Um, we spend a lot of time with uh, older Peter, Miles, and Gwen, and I feel like we get a lot from them, but like Spider-Ham, uh, Spider-Man Noir, and Penny, I don't think we get enough of them, but we don't spend a whole lot of time with them, And I, but you can't, I don't want them to like make the movie like three, three hours long to give us that, but I was left kind of wanting more, like I was in tears over Spider-Man Noir. It was, he was so funny to me because it was so silly. It was great. Um, But yeah, that's like my only nitpick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the the first Nick Cage movie that I've enjoyed since National Treasure came out. (laughs) Those movies are a National Treasure. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. Um, Yeah, no, I I totally um, agree with that. It's just, it's like, it's funny because you know because like like miles is miles's universe peter gets one of those like comic book origin stories in the movie things and then washed up peter gets a gets an origin story gwen gets an origin story miles gets a full-fledged origin story at the end of the movie but then like when when spider noir and spider ham and and penny show up like they get like the three panel like origin and it like looks super cool like it looks super comic booky and like i loved that whole section, but I do, yeah, like, I agree with you, like, we don't get a lot in terms of, like, backstory for them, and I, like, and, like, and most of, like, most of their characterization was used for, like, you know, like, comic relief, like, having John, like, having John Mulaney in the movie was, like, really, like, he had a couple really funny lines, like, the line at the end where he says, that's all, folks, and everybody's, like, can, can we say that, like, that's elite, and, like, that was super funny, and, like, Spider-Noir trying to figure out a Rubik's Cube was, like, hilarious, and I think like Penny was mostly there for plot contrivance because she fixes the like the goober or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So, um, shifting gears, one the I think the only other nitpick that I have um, is okay in the visuals. So both of you, I want you to pull up our group chat, and I sent three images in it. Um, so when I went and saw the movie. Uh, I noticed that like a lot of the things in the foreground and a lot of things in the background, basically anything that wasn't the focus of the shot, uh, it looked like there was like a ghost image layered on top of it and like moved slightly to the left or right. It looked almost like when you're watching a 3D movie without the 3D glasses. And I thought like, that's an interesting technique. And it's sort of like, it is actually like the way that humans see like if you're f- focusing on something, the things immediately behind or like the things far behind it and the things far in front of it uh, will shift out of focus for you. Um, and you'll appear to have those like ghosting images. I wasn't sure if like my theater was playing the like 3D version by accident. But now that I'm thinking about it further, I don't think that's possible. Like I think that you have to have a special projector in order to play like a 3D version. So I went back and I was looking um, and I took some screenshots from different clips online and I'm pretty sure it was supposed to look like that. Um, so you two, like, look at the first image, like it's Aunt May handing like the name tags 
and you can see her hands like they're shifted out of focus. So was that what your movies looked like? Is it supposed to look like that? And if so, how do you feel about that? Yeah. So, um, so that, that is what my, my experience looks like. And, um, and so Chris, who's our, the news editor for multiversitycomics.com and who did the review for, for into the spider verse for, for our site, he talks about this a little bit in his review because like, because the, like the animation style is, is, is so experimental. Cause it's like, it's like, he says it, he says it this way. It's blending a 2d look with 3d animation. And so like there, there are these times when um, like there's the sort of like out of depth stuff like you were saying like when it looks like stuff in the foreground is like on focus and then like the stuff in the background is sort of like off a little bit i kind of took most of that as just like being almost like almost like comic comic booky again in some way of like the things in the foreground of a comic book have more detail as opposed to the things in like the background of a comic book and like and there are a lot of comic panels that don't have backgrounds and like so on forth so forth so i didn't never feel that or see that as something that like detracted from my experience of enjoying the movie. And since I kind of knew it was going to look like that, I didn't have the moment of thinking like, Oh, is this the 3d version of the movie? There was a point in the movie. I think it's in the, it was in the fight scene with, at the beginning with um, miles as a universe, Peter Parker and green goblin and Kingpin um, and whoever else was there. Uh, in like the collider where like there was like a beam that came out to like hit miles that was going to hit miles and like what would have probably been in 3d like a really like jump scare moment and I jumped because it almost felt like it was in 3d and I thought like oh I'm about to get hit by this beam Um, so I did have some moments I guess like where the the animation style made it look sort of 3d but I didn't have the moment where I was like oh this is the this maybe being in 3d should like is is weird or disruptive. I don't know, Jess. What what do you what do you think? Um, I actually didn't notice it as bad until I saw the uh, uh, images. Um, so I guess my answer is it didn't really bother me. <laughs> um, yeah, I just took it as an animation choice that they decided to do, and it just—I mean, it worked for me. I thought the movie was beautiful. It, it didn't really, it didn't really, uh, it didn't really bother me one way or the other, honestly. Um, but maybe I need to watch it again and just uh, maybe uh, just pay more attention to like stuff like that, honestly. Okay. Yeah, I, I still don't know how I feel about it. I think going back into the movie and watching it again, knowing that it's not a mistake, uh, I, I think I might be a little more accepting of it as opposed to like wondering, is this a mistake? Um, yeah, but about the, the visuals, like what you were saying, what Chris said, um, in his review for Multiversity. Um, when I read that part, I thought he was talking about specifically things like Peter Porker. Like he actually did look like he was animated, um, like 2D animated, drawn, and uh, so did all of Penny Parker's scenes. So I thought... Oh, that's, that's true, yeah. Um, yeah. In the credits, I remember seeing... Uh, like they had a list of people who did 2D painting. So, and I looked it up after and it turns out a lot of, uh, it might've been every frame, but like they physically went into every single 3D animated frame and they painted over them. Um, and sometimes they made it more cartoony. Sometimes they made it more to accentuate the 3D features. Um, but there's like actual like 
they painted over all of it digitally um, so that it would look more 2D, which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah, that is, like, that is interesting. And there were moments, I mean, like, especially those, like, those characters who were animated in a way that they looked 2D in a 3D, like, in a 3D space. Like, I was, I was on, I was on Twitter, um, like, on the way home, and I, uh, one of the animators, somebody had retweeted one of the animators, and he was talking about the scene where, um, like, all of the spider people are in Miles's um, dorm room, and they're on the ceiling. Uh, and he was saying that was that was the hardest the hardest scene for him to animate for their team to animate, and it took them about two months to do it uh, because like you have these characters that are two D and three D in the same space moving in this like in the same like in the same way or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because every individual character had their own like if the shot was focused on them, it was like Jess said with Spider Gwen, like it looked like her visual scene. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Like trying to get them all together, like physically moving together mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And like the, cause like the color palettes were like constantly changing too, like throughout the, like the film. Cause like all, yeah. Like, like you were saying, like all of like Spider Gwen's stuff were like, had like these purples and pinks and then like washed up, Peter Parker had like a lot of like, you know, normal looking Spidey color, like lots of reds and blues and stuff. Miles is Miles has had a lot of like blacks and dark blues. And then, um, and like, and so like all, you know, like all of spider noirs, you know, like he had like the black and white stuff whenever he was kind of like at the folk. I don't know. Like it was, it was stuff like that. Like, yeah, like it was, that might've been more what, what Chris, Chris was talking about in his, in his thing. Um, like there was all these, all these different changes going on at the same time. And I, I never had a moment where I was like, this, this is wonky. This is detracting from my experience. Um, or like that. I think this is wonky and weird. I just was kind of like this. I, I watched the whole thing. It was like, this is just beautiful. And I love this. Um, but yeah. So do you want to, you want to talk briefly or do you have any more, any more, Follow up that snake. Uh, no, I'm just realizing that one of the directors was a oh and okay so the co-writer co-director Rodney Rothman, mm-hmm. um, his background is in a lot of comedy and one of the first things that he did was the TV show Undeclared, which I watched earlier this year. So I'm like I'm looking up to see what episodes he did, um, but that's completely <laughs> <laughs> off topic. So yeah, I love the movie. I would see it a bunch more times and I'm probably going to. I I do plan to. And I usually don't say that after a lot of movies. Like I'm usually like, okay, like I'll wash my hands of this. I'll watch it when it's on Netflix or or whatever else. Um, but yeah. Jesse, you were really excited about the post credit scene on Twitter. So <gasps> Oh my god, yes. Um <laughs> so I'm a very online person. Um <laughs> Really? I had no and- idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am a very online person. I consider memes to be an extremely high form of art. And the post credit scene of <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse is a meme. Yeah. And it's beautiful. So, like, basically, like, we get to meet uh, Spider-Man 2099. Um, and uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. Who did his voice? Uh, uh, Oscar Isaac did his voice. Oh, oh my shit, God. No so, way. I didn't know yes, that. Yes. Yeah. So, I was like, <laughs> 
I was like, yeah, I was like really pumped up already because I love Oscar Isaac. Oh so I was god. like, oh my god. Um, so uh, he's like, so so Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Miguel, he's like talking to like his like robot friend or whatever, his like personal assistant thing or whatever, and he like goes back in time because mm-hmm. he's like now gonna like mess with the alternate universes, and he goes back in time to the '60s Spider Man cartoon, and we get an entire like scene of the meme, the pointing meme playing out, and it's the most beautiful things. He's like, "You're pointing at me." He's like, "No, you're pointing at me." That's rude. I was, I was done like i so like a lot of things were very funny to me and i i laugh out loud if i'm in the theater or whatever if something's funny i was the only person in that theater that was like just cracking up like i thought it was the greatest thing i've ever seen like i was like oh my god <laughs> it's like of all the things that happens in your post-credit scene you finally did this you took the spider-man meme and did it it's beautiful um i really hope that spider-man is a part of the second movie the 60s spider-man and i hope his entire persona it's just the memes. Like, <laughs> I hope it's like him in the sexy pose saying his body is ready. And then I. <laughs> this movie's like a PG. Um, you can't say his body. <laughs> um, yeah, no, oh my God. It's, and, and like, I think people thought I was joking that I said this is the best post credit scene of like any superhero movie. It's better than when Nick Fury shows up to talk to um, Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. No, I'm serious. This is the best one ever. Like, it teased another movie, Spider-Man 2099, and it was also memes. Like, it's just, that's it. Like, you, you're not going to get anything better than that. It's it's perfect. Oh, that's... I felt so seen. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I tweeted, uh, like, about the post-credit scene, and my brother texted me, and he's like, shit, I didn't wait around. I didn't even think to wait around for a post-credit scene. And he was, like, pissed that he missed it. And I was telling him about it. He saw it, I think, yesterday. But Nick, what were you going to say? No, I wasn't. I just thought. Oh, okay. Yeah, I um, I watched that, and I was like, oh, cool. We're getting, like, Spider-Man 2099 in a, in a next movie. And I was like, oh, cool. Something's going to happen. Like, they're, like something cool is about to happen where he's going to, like, meet the other people from the other movie and it's going to, like, tease this whole thing. And no, it's literally just, like, him and the Spider-Man from the 60s, like, pointing at each other, like, you pointed at me, dog, you pointed at it. I just, like, this is, this is wonderful. This is <laughs> it's wonderful. amazing. I would have, like, stayed and, like, had to rewind it. Like, hey, can you, like, <laughs> can you project that back? I want to watch that again. It was great. Excuse me, I would like to watch this 20 more times. I would like to watch the meme play out many more times, please. There's There's got to be a meme in there we can mine out. Like again, yeah. oh man, oh that I felt so, I was so proud. Like that movie, just like that, it had already won me over, and then it's like that was just like the cherry on top. I was like, oh my god, it's that was it. It's just like I was because when I saw him, I was I was expecting like we were gonna get like some montage of him like uh, soaring around like the twenty ninety nine New York, or he was gonna go to like uh it, like he was maybe gonna go to like spider punks uh like universe because that's another one that like people visually really like at least like the more like diehard spider-man fans because of the spider-verse uh series so like people really liked his like his uh his uh look and everything so i was like oh maybe they're gonna like tease another spider-man or something um but then they gave us a meme and <laughs> it's beautiful it's just yeah. the best oh my god I love it. I'm like, I wish that would leak online so I can just like watch it 800 times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Give just go see show. Yeah, if you want to please the people, give them a meme. Yeah, exactly. Memes are 
are incredibly good and in many years from now people will appreciate them as the art that they are and i will be i will be happy i love memes memes are great like they're gonna hang like a crying jordan meme in like the louvre in like 50 years it's gonna be great (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like picturing a bunch of like pretentious white people going to like a really famous museum and there's like an exhibit about memes and they're like old and they're either just like what the fuck is this or they're just like really disappointed that we ever behaved in such a way and it's gonna be it's gonna be great i can't wait to be old i can't wait i cannot wait to be old and explain to hopefully my future grandchildren what memes are like i can't wait like they're gonna ask me like Oh, I found this old like thing. What are grandma, those? Grandma, like, what's a what's a dank? What's a dank? <laughs> like what? I'll get to explain Dat Boy to them. I'll get to ex- <laughs> I'll get to explain uh, Vine Sim. What are those? I'll get oh to God, Vine! That. Oh, I'll get oh. to explain that to them. I'll explain why Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player ever, but he was also the greatest sports meme of all time. It's gonna be great. I can't wait. I hope I'm like seventy. I hope I have grandkids. It's gonna be great. What a world! Oh, we can't wait. Then. Oh man, that's oh, special. The internet is good sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, yes, yeah. Um, well, before we trans- transition here, real quick, uh, what do you think about the idea that we're going to get more films set in this world with this animation style? Hell yeah! Hell yeah! I hope so. I mean, I know they're doing. I mean, at least in the Spider-Man world, I know they're doing a Spider-Gwen spinoff. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, mm-hmm. I think they, they already said that Silk and uh, Spider-Woman were going to be in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got so we got a little bit more detail this week. Like the, the sequel to this movie, I think, is going to focus on, more on like the, the Spider-Gwen Miles romance that like was kind of in the background, foreground or whatever of the movie. And it looks like that was like what the last scene was leading to. Like she was she like had reached out to his world and it's like, Hey, what are you doing? Um, so that's kind of looking what, what the sequel is going to be. And, and like Bendis, uh, Bendis is Spider-Man book and, and Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez and Spider-Man book. Like they crossed over in like a thing that had like a romance between them. So maybe it'll be based on some of that. And yeah, like the spider woman, the spider women spinoff or whatever. Yeah. It's going to be silk and Jessica drew. And yeah. And the uh, directors they announced, um, the director for uh for the like sequel with uh like still focusing on miles and spider gwen uh would be directed by joaquin dos santos which if you've been uh following my avatar reviews for multiversity uh he is my favorite animation director of all time (laughs) so i'm super super jazzed about that um and then lauren montgomery is on board to direct the uh spider woman uh one and she's also like I think one of the best animation directors of modern times. Oh, I didn't know that the Spider-Woman one had a director too. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like this whole universe is just going to be a wonderful playground and I'm all here for it. And if we get more movies that are not live action, because why would people act ever anymore? Go home. Um, then I'm all here for it. Y'all got any Into the Spider-Verse closing thoughts? Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you, Spider-Man. 
whoever is responsible for <laughs> like the magic of whatever it took to bring this together and make it what it was. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Amy Pascal. I'm sorry you got fired, <laughs> but thanks for this movie. Um, wonderful. Okay. Well, cool. So we thought it would be fun in talking um, about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse to also review the new Miles Morales Spider-Man a book that came out uh, the week that this movie came out because synergy. Thanks guys. Um, so Miles Morales, Spider-Man number one written by Saladin Ahmed illustrated by Javier Garon and then colored by David Curiel. So, so also, so this is the first Miles Morales solo book that has not been written by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, and yeah, so uh, Jess, we'll start with you. What were sort of your initial thoughts about reading reading this first issue? Um, I've read a lot of Bendis's Miles Morales because um, I really do care about that character. Um, I really like this. Um, it like just broad thoughts. It it definitely feels like a, a new era starting. Um, uh, Saladin Ahmed is really a different kind of writer and he's doing something different with it. He's not doing something radically different with the character, but the voice is different. Um, the voice feels a lot more like a real voice, not a Bendis voice. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like this. I think it's a good first issue. Um, I think like a lot of uh, Marvel first issues, it's going to take some time to actually get into what it's trying to do. Um, but I think it sets up a really exciting era for the character. Like I I'm into it. I, I think yeah, it's good. Yeah. Nick, what, what say you? Um, so first off that Brian Stelfreeze cover. Mm. Um, <laughs> second. Um, yeah. The entire issue, but like half of it is, Uh, not have it i guess the first few pages is all uh set up of like explaining what has happened in the past and obviously that's good for anybody who's coming to this from the movie it's a new number one miles hasn't had uh, his own series uh he did have his own series like two months ago but (laughs) like it hasn't been this easy to jump on in a while so um yeah that all is cool um i like the whole plot line about um, about like the journal. I think that's an interesting way to like give him some narration. Um, and at the same time, I think it's really interesting how like Ahmed is really trying to bring the character into modern day um, and like deal with the types of things that like a black and Hispanic kid from Brooklyn like the the things that he would see in the world and the way that he would see it. And like specifically they bring up like certain issues about like uh, people being deported and things like that. Um, so all that is pretty good, but yeah, overall it's, uh, it's pretty much just a setup thing. Like Jess was saying, like it's going to take a little bit longer to like really get into the series, but what's here is good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with uh, with those takes. Like, it very it very much does feel sort of like like fresh or whatever. Like Miles Miles feels like a real character and not like a like a Bendis character. And not really that ever that Bendis ever like 
I mean, like Bendis just like does Bendis things. And so um, any, like any issue or any book that he writes, just kind of, you can tell that it's him writing. And like here, like, like Miles kind of feels like he's, like he's been being written like a teenager and like he's being written by like, like I had the moment when he starts, like when he's like swinging, um, uh, it's on page 13 of our, like of our, of our PDF when he's like swinging by and he's at the, um, the like soup kitchen or, or whatever. And he sees, um, you know, people who are homeless and he's like saying like, he's confused about the world. Like, of course that's a thing that a teen, that a teenager thinks or like me, like me as like a, you know, like a young adult thinks like you look at the world and you're like, this is screwed up. Why? is this like this? Like, those are normal thoughts. And I was like, Oh, wow. Um, and I was kind of like shocked too. Cause I didn't expect to like, to have that necessarily in a comic book, not like in like the, we shouldn't have politics in our comics kind of way, but just in the like, Oh, I didn't know that like, this is where we were going. And then um, you know, like Ahmed takes up some of the uh, questions about, about immigration and, and deportation. And that seems like it might be sort of a longer ongoing conversation. Um, and yeah, like this book still feels very much grounded in what came before. Like I had forgotten that both of Miles' parents know that he's Spider-Man. Like I think that that's a wonderful thing. And like, it's wonderful to see them looped, like looped into this. Um, I think Ahmed's still, like still working some kinks out and like has a little bit of, like I think the next few issues are going to be him sort of like working, working into like who my, his Miles is and stuff. And I think like that's going to be good and I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think Javier Garone, like um, draws like the heck out of this issue and like all the characters look super, super fashionable. And I love that. And we can talk some more about that. But the last thing that I wanted to say that I think is um, I noticed it's um, even in like the, into the, the spider or and then especially here, one of the things that I think um, like Bendis in all of his runs on miles, like miles always felt like, because so Bendis, you know, created Miles as like a uh, like a half Latino, half half black character. Like his mother is Latino, his father's black, and Bendis always wrote Miles um, as mostly like as if he were like a like a, a black teenager dealing with like black teenage problems. And here, there's a lot of there's a lot of instances where um, like Miles is speaking Spanish, his mother's speaking Spanish to him. Like when he's talking um, with. Uh, like Barbara's little brother, cousin, whatever that she's, um, you know, babysitting like they're um, like talking about things in like a way that sort of like kind of makes sense. Like, it's just like, he's, he's leaning into the, like Ahmed's leaning into the fact too, that like Miles has this other, other part of him that is, is definitely a part of him that I don't think that we saw as much of when Bendis was writing the character. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Um, I think, Jess, you've read more than I have of the Bendis stuff. Yeah, the Bendis stuff, like, there's there's broad parts of it that aren't bad, but Bendis's vision, Bendis is a guy with good intentions, but he oftentimes kind of gets lost in his own writing and what he thinks young people sound like. And it's not that the, the broad stuff with Miles is good. The fact that Miles exists, the, the things that he wanted to do with Miles and it's all good. It's just it, Miles is a young kid and he's 
he's Puerto Rican. Shout out to my fellow Puerto Rican, Miles Morales. And um, he's young and he's a kid from Brooklyn and Bendis doesn't really get that. And um, I think even though Ahmed is a little bit older, um, he still gets the character a little bit better than I think. You know, no, Bendis made the character, but I think he gets him in a way that Bendis didn't. Like, even with even with Garone's art, um, that looks like New York. Like my dad lives in Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn a lot, and that looks like Brooklyn. Like it's not just white people. It's like there's an actual mixture of people in those back, even in just the backgrounds, and it's really good. And um, the thing with this issue too um, that I think uh, should probably be like pointed out is. This is, and I think, Nick, you were talking about this earlier, um, this is, like, an actual starting point for Miles Morales. Like, if you've never read a Miles Morales comic and you left into the Spider-Verse being like, yeah, I want to read a Miles Morales comic, this is it. Like, this is it. His school's in it. Like, the school from the movie is in it. His mom is still, like, she has the same job. Like, all of it is in there. Like, it's right there for you. Like, this is the perfect starting point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And like, and like the things that are, that are at least like somewhat different from, from the movie, like the fact that, um, you know, like that his uncle's not the prowler that he's um, like iron spider and that like the dad works for shield yeah. or whatever. Like those are all things that you're told. Yeah, you don't need, like you don't uh, need to read like 10 years of Bendis writing to get that. Like it's there. That's all you need to know. And it, it like, it goes back to what we were saying about into the spider verse. Like you get just all you need to know. Like, no, you don't need to know mm-hmm. every single detail of his entire 10 year history. This is what you need to know. Don't get bogged down and all mm-hmm. that. If you want to get on Marvel unlimited and read it, go for it, but you don't need it. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Like that, that's a really great, like this, this is a, a much better jumping on point for somebody who has, yeah, has just seen that movie and has never picked up a Spider-Man comic in their life. Um, yeah. Uh, so the art, um, you want to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. What did y'all, so, um, so most of like Miles's. I guess so. There have been three, three main, three or four main. I guess Miles Morales Spider artists. So like Sarah Pacelli and Bendis created the character, and then like Justin Ponser colored all of Pacelli's issues, and then David Marquez took over, and I'm pretty sure Ponser colored all of his stuff, and then Nico Leone and Bendis relaunched the title for like um, all new, all different Marvel or whatever, and then Oscar Balzadua, um took over after Leon left. Um, it's like with that, like, I think, I think, and then I, I would love to, to, to hear what y'all have to say, like, like Garon seems sort of like a, a great sort of like pickup. Um, and like the style of all those people that have come before the like key, like there are things like distinctly that he's doing. Like just like, like you're saying like, this looks like Brooklyn. This looks like New York. Like I, um, like I get that. Like it looks like, like, it very much looks like New York is like a character. Um, and, and at least like in parts of this book, especially like the scenes where um, Miles and, and, and Barbara and Eduardo are, um, are hanging out. Um, like they're like, and this, this, it's a little bit brighter than I think. Cause like David Curiel's coloring instead of Ponser than like some of the issues that have come before. But I think it's just like a perfect sort of like continuation of, of the kind of art style that, that was come that has come before in a good way, not in like a, like a derivative way. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what really stood out to me about his art is I, I try to get away from saying the word expressive because that could mean a lot of things. Um, so for him specifically, like I feel like the it looks like realistic body language. Like it looks like slightly more expressed, almost like how you would see in like a play, like theater acting, like the way that the the arms are moving or like the specific poses that he chooses are all, like they express a very specific emotion, but they're also very much in line with every individual character. Like they each have their own ways of expressing their body language. And that's really cool. Um, and yeah, specifically, I think like the arms and the way that people like carry their heads, um, is very (laughs) expressive and yeah, I appreciated all that. Um, the other thing that I really liked is yeah, the way that he draws teenagers, like a lot has been said, I feel, um, in critiquing like people drawing teenagers that they just look like smaller adults. Um, so I think the interesting thing about these character designs, like for Miles, like there's the uh, page <clears throat> pretty early on when he's like laying in his bed and he's in a tank top. Um, and you can see like his body is like slim and like kind of um, lanky almost, but it has like a decent amount of muscle, but not in the way that like muscle grows on like a full, fully grown man. It's like, it looks like just a muscular teenager. Um, Mm -hmm. And that too is very cool and not very uh, common to see in superheroes. Sure, sure. Yeah. Jess, what did you think about art going on? Um, Yeah, so I touched on the fact that I think that he does a great job at actually making Brooklyn look inclusive, which is what Brooklyn is. it's weird. Like if you go, if you spend any time in New York City and you start getting out into the boroughs, like outside of Manhattan, um, you will sit on a train, and if you really pay attention to things, you'll hear like six different languages sat, like spoken on that one train car, and that's amazing. And I think that that's like I I, I can't stress enough that how great that is to me that that's included in the art. Um, I think like the thing with the Spider-Man book especially is what Spider-Man looks like when he's doing Spider-Man things. And I think uh, the art here as it pertains to that is really good. Um, I really like Garon. I think he's a really good artist and I think that a Spider-Man book is going to suit him really well. Um, and I'm excited to see him do more. But yeah, I, I really did like the art in this issue. I think it's it's... Yeah, expressive is like a tough word to, to use, but like it's kind of what like it's kind of perfect here. Um, yeah, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I I think I think it's a really great book. I still think uh, Pakeli is like the pinnacle. I love her art. I think she's fantastic. I think she's like the pinnacle of Miles Morales, but I think Garon could get there. I think in time that he could get there. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with all that. One of the things that and I, I touched on this a, a second ago too. Like one of the things that I noticed the most reading this, and then I noticed a lot reading more Marvel books over reading DC books, is just like how contemporary, like the the like fashion of all the the people in, in, in this book look. Also, like Nick, you were talking about like they, like Miles and and Barbara and Gonk, and um, that's probably not he's it. Uh, like all the people in this book, like they look like like teenagers. Like the teenagers look like teenagers, and they also like dress like teenagers too. 
Um, like, I think that's one of the, one of the critiques too. Like when you see teenagers who just look like smaller adults is like, they just like are dressed like adults or they're dressed just sort of in a way that's like non-expressive or that is sort of like plain, like they're wearing like plain t-shirts or whatever else. Like, like in the scene, like where Miles is on like that pseudo date, like he's got like, like a jacket on that you would sort of like see, um, sort of like in, in any sort of like sort of like high brands or like fashion store. And he's got like another thing like tied around his pants and he's got like, you know, the undershirt going on and stuff. And then like Barbara's got like the sort of like the cute, like the cute hat and like a whole jacket thing going on and like the long boots and everything. And it's just like, they look, they look like what, like what teenagers dress, like what young adults dress like. And I just, I appreciate that. And I noticed that more in Marvel books. And I think all the, a lot of the artists that Marvel have are better at being in touch more with um, like what contemporary like fashion styles are like than a lot of the artists that, that DC has, or maybe I just don't notice it as much in DC books because all the DC characters spend more time in costume than they do in, in um, civilian settings or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of that agreed, but I'm also, yeah, I was wondering like why, and I think you nailed it at the end, like, Partially, it's because they do spend most of their time in costume. But yeah, partially, I think you're totally right. Like, I, I don't see, even when the characters are out of costume, they generally don't have, like, stuff that looks like modern fashion. They look like just sort of clothes. Yeah. Whereas here, it's like they specifically referenced exact, like, fashion <laughs> that is current. That's super yeah. cool. Like I probably saw like variations of what both of them were wearing earlier when I was in downtown Chicago. Like, um, like it just look, they look like people. They look like what people and, and they look like what pe real people are wearing. And I like that. Like, I appreciate that. And we'll talk about that some more in the, in the second part of the episode. Um, when we talk about, talk about runaways a little bit. Um, but yeah, do you have any other, any other closing thoughts about this first issue? Any other Spider Spider Man Miles Morales Spider Verse whatever thoughts? No, I'm excited to read more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see more Spider Verse. <laughs> I'm excited to see that movie again. I am definitely excited to read more issues of this book. This was one of the the books. I think we've talked about this in the show, but that I was looking forward to the most when it was announced. I was like, oh, Saladin Saladin Ahmed on a Miles Morales book. I'm sold. That sounds wonderful. And I think this issue was a great first issue. And I think the series has like some work to do, but I think it's like, it's all positive work. Like it's like work that um, like, I'm excited to see Ahmed and, and Garon uh, like work together and build this story and build these characters together in a good way. So, yeah. Alrighty then. Well, we're going to take a quick break after an hour of talking, Jesus Christ. Um, and we're going to come back in the second part of the episode and talk a little bit about Runaways related things. So we'll see you then. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, 
discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back. Uh, Marvel or the Marvel gods or Gene Wilder or somebody, whatever. I don't know Gene Wilder. I like Gene Wilder. Uh, Has blessed us here at the end of the year 2018 with double the Marvel Entertainment content. The day that this episode uh, will hit the stands or your ears or whatever this friday uh the second season of runaways comes out on hulu um and with that we thought it would be a fun idea to take a a, uh, look at the first arc of the current runaways book that rainbow rowell chris anka and matt wilson are doing but first uh jess you reviewed the first season of runaways for multiversity um you did and uh i recently binged it and caught up um what were what are some so like are you excited about season two like are what were sort of your like initial like overall thoughts about season one and are you looking forward to 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 what's coming out on friday because all the episodes are dropping on friday right like it's it's Uh, not like yeah i think they are unlike last year i think they are dropping it all at once which is a choice um (laughs) (laughs) all right good 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 um no i actually really liked runaways and i i didn't think like i volunteered to do it because i liked the comic but i didn't know if i'd like the show i love the show it's great i really enjoyed it um a lot of people so okay spoilers from here on out um so a lot of people didn't like the first season only because they felt like it took too long for the for them to actually run away. Like the season ends with them actually running away. In the comic book, they run away like immediately. Like that's that's how the story gets going. Um, the show takes a lot of time to like build up a backstory for like every single character. There's a lot of stuff going on with the parents, um, and I actually love all that. I think when you're making a TV show, it's got to be something that works for a TV audience, and I think that the way that they did this really works for the TV audience. Like the parents in the comic to me come off very one um, in the original run come off very one dimensional to me. Um, in the in the show, they're far more complicated and their motivations are more complicated, and it's not such a black and white situation. Um, so I, I I really like that. Um, I think the kids are all great. Um, I I really liked it. It's I wouldn't say it's Riverdale because Riverdale is very much a unique beautiful thing on its own um (laughs) (laughs) but um runaways is is a really good teen drama um and i usually don't like those um uh not now it used to but not now but um i i really like uh i really like runaways i'm excited to see season two i'm excited to see what it looks like now that they've actually run away um all the things that were introduced in the first season i'm just i'm really interested to see how that shakes out in the second season cuz it's it's much more uh complicated and um less of a comic booky story in in the in the original series like real quick uh the big bad villains that aren't the parents are like these giant aliens and in the comic that's not really how it works they're more tied to carolina's background um, cuz she's not human um which which is held from from the comics to the to the show um 
and it's 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 good. It's different, but it's good. Um, yeah, I I loved it. I really liked the first season of Runaways. I, I I'm unlike the other uh, net, unlike the Netflix shows that I, I suffered through reviewing. I'm really excited to watch this and write about it. I I just I just hope that with the Disney uh, streaming thing that Runaways doesn't go away because I, I really do think it's good. Mm-hmm. Are you reviewing the second season again for Multiversity? I am. I, I won't be watching it all in one shot, though. I'm, I'm going to take it week by week. That's all I can handle. <laughs> That's, fair. That's fair. That's fair. Nick, have you watched any of the Runaway stuff or have any interest in watching any of it? Or... Nope and nope. Nope and nope. Okay, good. Well, that was quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I so, um, so I haven't watched a lot of the Netflix Marvel shows. Um, but I started watching Runaways, I guess back back in August, um, when I was yeah when I was uh, I was at home I was in Texas at my parents' house and they were off at work or whatever and I was like well I have some time to kill and I watched like the first like six episodes in one day uh, and I like I really enjoyed it uh, and I finally you know because like school kick school mode kicked in and um, like I finally finished the last few episodes recently but I like I really really enjoyed it Jess and like I think. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm really excited about season two. It was sort of interesting. So I um, also like kind of recently started reading the like the original run, like the the Brian Bond um, like original run from 2003. It's like super dated, um, and like the language that they use is like super dated. And I just like forget that people talked like like that in the year 2003. But um, here we are. Uh, but like the show was like, I just thought, I just thought it was really fun. And it was kind of, it was kind of refreshing in a way that like the parents like backstory got, got flushed down a ton. And like, they all kind of seemed like, like real people. Um, and I thought like the kids, like, like, or all the, all the like teenagers, like I thought they were like a, like a, a fun group of people and like had like a lot of different, like conflicting emotions and motivations and stuff too. And yeah, I just thought it was a, I thought it was a like a really fun series, and I don't like I don't watch a lot of superhero television or or comic book television stuff, um, but I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to season two. It looks like it seems like season two is going to be a lot more like comic booky heavy or like superhero y heavy. Like it looks like they're going to get more into because like not all of them realize that like they had powers and stuff yeah. until like towards the end mm-hmm. of the season, and then like they actually run away, and now it's like them sort of like delving into all that stuff. And it's interesting the parents are still around too. Like I think that's going to be cool. Like the parents. See, the parents being around is actually like my favorite part of the whole thing because I think that they they built like the first season to be like this big like fight between the parents and the kids. The kids wanting like forge their own path, and it's like the parents are kind of like, no, we made this deal. You you're going to do what we need you to do, and you're going to be what we need you to be. And I kind of like that. Like it's a teen drama, so there's like a whole bunch of layers to that that really work for like any like younger viewers who are like 16, 17, even like 20 watching it. Like I just think that really works. And like I, I felt very strongly, and I've written it in my reviews, like about the parents being around and the way that they built up their individual storylines. I feel very strongly about it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I thought, yeah, I, I – I some of some of the parents shine more than some of the other parents and like some of their weird shenanigans are just like y'all need to get y'all's lives together because y'all have kids. Um yes. but <laughs> well, looking at you and Nico's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but overall, like yeah, like I thought it was really interesting. I thought too, like all the is and 
so I've only read like the first couple issues of Vaughn's run. Like that's been this week. Is like any of like the church stuff, like the mom being like the weird like pastor cult leader or whatever thing, like is that in the comics too or? No, okay. it's completely different. Like the, the 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 them taking it and it being like an actual mm-hmm. church. That's not in the comic. That's it's very different. It's so different. I actually think the I actually and this is very rare. I actually think the TV show does it better. I think they take the I think that they do the concept cool. a little bit better. And I I'm definitely in a minority on that, but I yeah. think they do it better. Okay. Okay. That's what like that's what I thought. I thought the like the like church church of the Giborum or whatever stuff like was like super interesting and like uh y'all are like ripping off like mindfulness and like super conservative evangelical kind of stuff at the same time and also like it's kind of culty and it's like it's like pulpy and and weird but it's like fun and 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 yeah anyway i think i think it's i think the show is interesting but um yeah okay well that's good i'm look. i'll we'll have to share thoughts about season two i'm looking forward to reading all your all your articles um well, cool. So we are with that, with the fact that Runaways is starting its second season. We all uh, have read and are going to look at the first arc of the relaunched um, Runaways book that relaunched uh, end of end of last year, uh, written by, like I said earlier, by Rainbow Rowell. And this is her first uh, comic book venture um, and definitely her first comic venture at Marvel. She's uh, like a young adult, um, young adult novelist. And then illustrated by Chris Anka and colored by Matt Wilson. So we are going to look at the first arc. It's called Find Your Way Home. It's issues one through six of the series. Um, and I have to ask, I guess before we before we get started, there are y'all keeping up with um, with this with this book as it's as it's going? Like it's I think issue like sixteen or something comes out this month. Um, no, I want to read it in trades. Like I have the second trade sitting right okay. on my desk. That's that's also what I'm doing. Okay. I've only read up to where the second trade ends. Okay, 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 okay. Fair. Yeah, I I've read. I guess the most recent issue. So I guess like the second trade probably ends with issue like twelve or something. I would think, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That was. We'll talk about this next week when we do our best 2018 episode. But that was one of my favorite issues of the year. I loved. I love that. But. Um, yeah. Okay. And so, and and Jess, you've you've read all the original Runaway stuff. Nick, have you read um, like Vaughn's original run and all that stuff? No, I read the few crossovers that they had with Young Avengers because I did a read through all the Young Avengers stuff. But otherwise, right. I've read no Runaways. Okay. Okay. So we'll we'll start with you then. So we'll so we'll get your your take as somebody who hasn't read a lot of the older Runaway stuff, and then Jess's take as somebody who has read some of that stuff or your what are your initial thoughts or your initial thoughts when you read the the first trade the first six issues of of this series yeah so i initially uh read the first six issues in singles um and basically like my shop was having a sale and i think the first three issues were out and it was like a 50 percent off sale on all back issues so like i picked up the first one and brought it home like read it a few days later and then i like immediately went out and got the other two um, so I just, I really, really loved it. Um, and I, should I get into like how I felt when I reread it earlier today? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So in the time between first reading it and reading it now, um, by the time I reached the end of that arc, I realized like, I guess I wasn't like as big of a fan of the end of the arc and I felt like it just would read a lot better in trade because not that much happens in every individual issue. Um, so that's why I switched to trades. 
Uh, but I also, I liked it enough that I found one of... I've never read found, her novels, like I, no. I've seeked out one of Rainbow Rowell's uh, novels, and I've read it. I've read Carry On. Um, are either of you familiar with it? No. <laughs> okay. So, mm. <laughs> you guys are probably going to want to after I describe this. Uh, Carry On is basically <laughs> like Harry Potter, if it starts in the seventh year... And Harry and Malfoy are roommates who hate each other, but they also are secretly in love each- oh with each other, God. but don't realize it yet. Um, <laughs> and it's like that's my that's my yeah. he- my you know head head fiction or whatever is that Ed-Cannon? Malfoy and Harry really want to fuck? Yeah, head canon. That's what I was yeah. saying. Yeah. So I I haven't read that many novels recently, and I've been wanting to read more. So I saw this, and I was like five hundred something pages. LOL. And then I read the concept, and I just devoured the whole thing. Um, it was really, really great. So when I reread uh, this arc of Runaways today, um, I came in with that perspective of having read one of her novels. And um, she's a very dialogue-heavy writer. And I think that really comes across. Like, there's a lot of little actions in her prose writing, uh, but I'd say there isn't a ton of, like, like lavish descriptions or anything for the most part the story goes forward through like little moments and specifically a lot of dialogue um which is very well written and i think coming into runaways i think it's the exact same thing i think she uses a ton of dialogue in a very good way but at the same time i feel like she doesn't um she doesn't use the medium to its full extent i feel like so I, I got into a sort of a debate uh, a few weeks ago with um, Matt Garcia, one of the editors at Multiversity, about uh, like what exactly defines a comic book versus a picture book. And he at one point said how like a lot of like I said that picture books are like they're illustrating bits of text. And he said, well, a lot of superheroes are just illustrating what's like illustrating what's going on and i feel like the truth is somewhere in the middle but that's like putting that argument aside i thought about that a lot when reading these issues of runaways because i feel like a lot of it is just like there are illustrations but they're not essential to the story it's almost like reading an illustrated play um that uses panels uh, because there's not a lot of visual storytelling going on the visuals are great and the dialogue is great, but I feel like they, they're they not uh, exclusively, like you don't need one for the other to work, which is, I feel, a big part of comics. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of of two minds about the series. And also, yeah, not that much happened in that first trade, <laughs> um, but I still feel like the characters are great and she's definitely a very good dialogue writer. Um, she's a good like writer at like creating a lot of tension and like doing good scenes and things like that too. Um, but it's interesting because it's a slightly different problem, if you want to call it a problem, than what like someone like Tanahisi Coates on Black Panther uh, did, where like he just we've talked about this before, uh, where like his flow was kind of interrupted because he was writing in a very prosy way. Um, yeah, so those are my thoughts. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, that's like, that's a, that's a really interesting point to say that like the, 
like the dialogue is very good and the art is very good and one could exist without the other. And I don't, I don't know that I would, that I would have framed it like that. I don't know that I a hundred, I don't know that I a hundred percent agree with it either. I was really struck um, in reading these first few issues and struck again, rereading them. Um, and then just, I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, and just the fact that like, it seems like that sh- her dialogue and her descriptions are, um, are a lot sparser than, than like, like you just said, like, like somebody like Tanahisi Coates um, or, or Saladin Ahmed, you know, on, on exiles or on black, on black belt, even, which has a sh- ton of, of dialogue and narration. Um, both of them and both of them, people who came from writing novels or essays or whatever, and then came into comics. I feel like, I feel like Raul here, like she uses some narration and she uses um, like everything is very dialogue heavy uh, in terms of like what most of the, like the driving action in the issues is people talking to one another. Um, but it, it feels, it feels more like, like comic dialogue. Like it feels like, yeah. like I'm looking, I'm looking at like the first, you know, double parade spread right now from the first issue where like Chase is holding um, like Gert's almost dead body. And it's just the pan, the, the page is just like, him him and the time machine and her being dead and nico just saying chase what did you do and like that like something like that in the hands i think of somebody who was just starting out doing comics and had come from another medium would have had like so much dialogue on the page like them having a conversation back and forth while you know chase is like cradling this this you know almost dead person in his arms um but that's like that's interesting to to you say that like they they don't like the art is good. The dialogue is good. They don't completely hundred percent mesh with one another. And maybe that, maybe I, I don't know. Yeah. And the, the thing that you're saying about dialogue. Yeah. Hers is very bouncy. It's very almost bendacy that like it goes back and forth a lot and it, it's very naturalistic. Um, but it's not like bendacy in the way that it's like unnatural. So. Yeah. 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 So that, that's like, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like I, I, I don't mind that this specific book is written like this. I think there are people in comics who have a background in writing novels where the dialogue in the comic book does get to be too freaking much. And as much as I love her, I think Marguerite Bennett is guilty of that a lot of the time. Like her pages will be just full of captions and I'm just like, oh my God, please calm down. And um, I think James Tynan does that a little bit too. Um, Scott Snyder has done it a bit. Um, And I I think like Rainbow Rowell, like I think that, like with this specific book with it being like young adults and teenagers kind of going back and forth I think it actually really works and I think that she parses it down just enough to where I don't feel like it overwhelms everything else like I do feel like Anka and and Wilson do get a chance to shine here maybe not in the way that they would in like a, a more conventional superhero book with like more of a visual element but I think that the, the team really works really well together. And I think it's like a very specific instance where it all kind of clicks. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think like they, this team very much makes that work. And I, I really do like her dialogue. Like I, I think, yeah, I really do think she parses it down just enough to where it's not too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, 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 I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think that, like yeah, like reading this, like it almost it almost feels very like very reserved in some ways. Like like Anka like uh, like Anka's art has more room to like like to shine and to breathe than um, 
then like, yeah, like if somebody like, like James Tynan or Scott Snyder or Jason Aaron or, or Saladin Ahmed had, had written this book. Um, like I think there would have been so many narration nor narration boxes and, um, you know, uh, dialogue bubbles and all this stuff. But like instead, like, like there are a lot of panels in in all of these first six issues where like, it's just uh, Chris Long and Matt Wilson's art. And I love that because it's gorgeous. Um, yeah. I don't know, Nick, what, what do you, what do you think in, in response to? Um, in response to what specifically? Oh, I don't know. Just, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, I feel like, yeah, I agree with everything that you guys are saying. Um, and I just, I'm still thinking about how like, yeah, everything that you're saying is also very descriptive of her prose writing, mm, okay. which is interesting. Yeah. Like everything is pretty sparse and like the dialogue, it's bouncy and it's not like, like these other writers that we're mentioning were like the dialogue, you sort of have to linger on it because like they're packing a lot of concepts into like one speech bubble. Um, yeah. It's almost like poetic in that way. But mm-hmm. Rainbow Rowell, it's very conversational. It's like you just bounce boom, 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 bubble to bubble, and like you get the gist of the conversation. Um, it's, it's just a very different uh, style of reading and writing. And it's a lot more reminiscent of uh, writing for plays and uh, screenwriting than it is for writing for novels. Sure, sure, sure. There, like, there are a lot of like so like talking about some of these other writers who are very, um, very prose heavy and who who work with like wonderful artists. Like, there are almost times when I'm reading comics like that where there are so many words, where like I'm almost just reading the words and I'm like less looking at the art. And so I guess like when you when you make the, made the comment of like the the words and the art, like they could exist separately from one another. Like I I don't like I don't agree with that. Like they're there's so many times like reading this book, especially where like I'm staring at like Chris Anga's art and like looking at like what like things that he's illustrated in the background and or like just like looking at like the facial expressions or like checking out all of the like the fashion of all the characters and, and so on, so on and so forth. And that I'm like paying not like paying less attention to the dialogue, but like it's like I think it works really well, like alongside like the art, like not in a way that like the dialogue and the prose are like overbearing and making me just mm-hmm. read the prose and like skip, skip over the art, the artistic things that are going on. Well, it, the, it's not yeah. so much. I think everything that you're saying is more about the details. Um, and those details are obviously important um, and they make up the world of the book. But I think I'm talking on a more fundamental level of like, you need to watch this character go from like, you need to, put together in your mind what they're doing from panel A to panel B to panel C, like while this dialogue is happening. Um, Whereas in Runaways, it's a lot more like every individual panel is specifically illustrating that speech bubble. Okay. Yeah. It's more like on a fundamental theory level of comics, if that makes sense. Okay. I think, okay. I think I see more what you're saying. Like that, the, the panels are then just, but like, isn't that, I don't know. Like that's, (laughs) that seems like what good comic booking should be. It's like that the panel accurately illustrates like what the character's doing and what they're saying. 
Uh, I think um, it can work, and I think in this book it does work. Uh, but in a lot of, not a lot of, but in like other books, it can be more like you rely on the transition from one panel to the next, like the visual transition and what happens in one to the other and what your mind puts together of how you got from point A to point B in order mm. to understand what happened. Okay. 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 Yeah. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but <laughs> I think you're making some, some of like, I'm imagining, I guess, like, like books where like things that are being said are not the things that are going on in the panels or like the things that are going on in the panels, like there are things happening in the panel in addition to the things that are happening in the dialogue or happening in the narration or whatever else. Mm -hmm. um, and here, I think what I hear you saying is that all of the panels, at least in these first six issues, are illustrating what the characters are saying. They're in for the service. Most part. Uh, okay, for the most part. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a few instances, like I think it was toward the end of issue, it was either the last page of issue one or two, where Molly is on the top uh, panel and then there's four panels of the cats with the glowing eyes like to the left and right of her and by putting all those panels together on the page you get that feeling that she is like sort of claustrophobically being watched and that is something that can only happen in comics um, sure. whereas like two characters talking and like debating over something that can happen pretty much anywhere mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sure Sure. I will, I will say, so these are my, finally my like initial thoughts or whatever on the, on the book. Um, the later issues of this book are like, these, these issues are very good. This book gets much, much better as it, as it goes on, I think in my opinion. So I was, so I didn't, so um, I didn't pick up any of these issues like initially, like when this book was announced, I didn't like read it. Um we're thinking about partially because it was announced. So this, the first issue of this book came out in September of last year. Um, and, and that was uh, also around the time. So like it came out in September. It was announced around the time that Marvel, Marvel legacy was announced and Marvel, Marvel legacy started in October. And it really felt odd to me that this book, I remember, I remember thinking this at the time. And part of this, this was before even we started doing this podcast. Also, I remember thinking too, like it was weird that, this book was starting in September and then all the other books were being, excuse me, were being relaunched in October, but this like book wasn't being relaunched and like, or being canceled or whatever. Like it just like felt like the timing and like when it was coming out felt odd. And I get like some of it was to coincide with whenever runaway season one was coming out or whatever. Um, that makes sense to me, but it just like, it felt odd. And at one point I think I remember thinking too, like, Oh, this book must be, like quote unquote, like out of continuity or like not really important because it's like not following the publishing pattern of everything else that was going on. Um, but I kept seeing people tweet about it and I kept seeing like, uh, like I follow Chris Anka on Twitter and I just like love seeing him post stills and commissions and, and whatever, like posters and pinups and whatever, like the heat, like he could just draw everything and I would be so happy. Um, and I was like, okay, I need to check out this book because I love his art. And I remember I, I, I was sitting in class um, in like March or April and um, I binge like the first eight or nine issues of, of this book, like on my computer. And I was like, Oh my God, this book is so good. Like this art is so good. Like everything about this book is wonderful. And then I just like, from then on, it's been one of my, like my favorite books that Marvel's been publishing and, um, and like the art's good. And like the story is, has just gotten so much better. 
but I had almost forgotten what happened in like these first six issues. And so reading it today, I was just like, oh, right. We spend six issues like getting the gang together. And that's a thing that happens because like I had just kind of passed up and almost forgotten about everything that had happened in these first few issues in order to enjoy what was happening currently, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I think that just means that like the series was good, but it was like forgettable ish. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Yeah. Rereading it. I was like, yeah, not much happened. And um, like the villains kind of lame. It's like the grandma. Okay, whatever. And it's more about just getting to know the characters. And I feel like once you know them, it's like you don't really ever need to reread this. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with that. Just as somebody who's read a lot of the runaways stuff that's come before, what did, what do you think about that in comparison to, in comparison to this? Yeah, like, I, I do agree with that, like, last point. I think that the first, like, this first arc, like, I've read up to the second, like, the end of the second. So I've read the second trade, and I think that it picks up much more in the second uh, trade because I think that it's, it's, it is a sequel series. Like this is picking up where the last series, like where we not exactly where everything was left because there was also Avengers arena with Nico. And we'll probably just leave it at that. Cause that is a very divisive story arc. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have seen wars on online over that arc. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. it's basically battle Royale, but with a bunch of young Marvel characters. Um, uh it, it's i i think that like this first arc like has to do a lot of work it, it's it's a sequel series but it also like it wants to be a new series so it's like well we got to make sure people can get in here and kind of get a good understanding of these characters and where they're at and why we why you should care about them even though you didn't read any of the other stuff and i think it does that fine enough but i do think that it needs to spend so much time getting them there like this whole first arc is them getting to a point where they're going to run away again so <laughs> it's like yeah, like and it has yeah, to get yeah. you there so it's like i can't be so mad at it for doing that but it, it's true it's it's not like the most amazing six issues reread it immediately like it's but it's fine like i, I think there's a lot that works for it um especially coming into it like knowing like what happened before like i like like i in particular love Gert coming back and I like what's done with that because I think that a lot of the time when we get like characters coming back from the dead it's just like they go back to business as usual and that's weird because if you were dead and you've like disappeared and your friends think you're dead and it's been two years that should matter and like with her it does it's like that's not her boyfriend Chase is not her boyfriend anymore it's been two years everyone's gotten older everyone's moved on and she is still stuck in two years ago and it like makes her angry and I I like that I think that's like the best part of these first six issues honestly I think that's it right there but yeah no it's it does it doesn't it doesn't have like that oomph in it the first six issues it does get better though I think but that that the Gert stuff is my favorite I think I, I saw some reviews that kind of said she was kind of annoying, but I'm like, she's not because like she's been dead for two years. Like everyone else moved on with their life and she has not. She got ripped out of her time, put here, and now she's alive. And it's weird for her and it's frustrating. And I like that. I think that's, I think that's the best part of this, this first arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, um, uh, oh, okay. So I did love the Gert stuff. I had one kind of nitpick when I was reading through it and like, feel free to yell at me after I say this, but she was saying like, 
I'm not old enough. I'm still not old enough to drive. I'm still not old enough to like do this. Like I have to go back to high school, but like she doesn't actually, because her ID is just going to say like that she was born on that day. Like she, she was still technically born on the same day. So like, Shut even up. if her body isn't that old, like society's no, that's fair. gonna treat her like yeah. she's that old. No, that's, no, that's, that's fair. That's <laughs> like it's like if you're if your your ID still says the year you were born, like you may not mentally be there, but you are, <laughs> like legally. Yeah, I guess that's true. And like the the I guess the only thing that you could say like to counter that would be the fact that like if she had death records, which I don't know if she did or not, but anyway. Yeah, when I was reading it like earlier, I was like, "Ah, that's like something that doesn't totally hold up to logical scrutiny," but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't have that thought because I was very happy that Ral didn't go the like, "Oh, Chase is like twenty-two and she's like fifteen or sixteen, but they're still gonna like be dating and be all weird, like be all all that kind of stuff." Like I was, so I like I was like, "Oh, I'm glad." Like I just kind of was, I I did I didn't have the like sort of escapism on like oh well i guess she's actually like 18 or whatever because her id or whatever would say or her birth certificate would say that she's 18 or whatever i was just like oh i'm glad that chase is like not making moves on her because he knows that she's young and was she he, knows that she's young and was he already significantly that. older than her he was a little older than her but not like where it's a problem <laughs> okay but enough to where like two extra yeah, years is a lot yeah. okay yeah. Gotcha. Well, because he's like in the in the sixth issue, like when he's fixing Victor, like he's got like a like a, a handle of Jim Beam in his hand that he's just like shoving back and getting pissed at Victor's head, and it's like, yeah, relatable. This is probably- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've all been there. Like we've all just like, you know when you're bark. fixing your robot friend and you're just mad. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, when you're fixing your robot friend that Tom King killed, and you know, like it's. <laughs> Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> We're not even. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. no, like we've all been there. It makes sense. Um, and so yeah, so um, that is a good point. I will, I will, I will concede that to you. I didn't, I didn't have that thought because I was like, oh, I'm glad that they're not taking this the direction that they could take it. Um, yeah, and but. like she's still like mentally and physically the age that she was is just like the mm-hmm. things that she was really worried about. Or not the things that she was really worried about, but like certain things that she was saying were like, well, that's not exactly true. But again, nitpick doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. But it, it, it does make sense. It does make sense. Um, can we talk a little bit more about Chris Anka's and Matt Wilson's art, please? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Seems like um, you want us to so go ahead. I, I love it. <laughs> that's really all. <laughs> um. In the in the same vein of what I was talking about with Javier Garon um, earlier, but more like ampli- amplified times, like ten with Chris Anka. Like this is this is a this is an artist that clearly knows fashion, and um, and like knows like knows women's fashion, and like just like draws um, like beautiful fashionable people that um that look beautiful and fashionable and look like real people and that's that's really all i just think i just think that i i just love i just love it that's that's really where i'm at i don't know that i have any like super formed 
beautiful thoughts other than that. Like, I think like he nails, he nails, Chris Anka nails who all these characters are in the way that they dress and the way that like they express themselves through like their facial expressions and also just like what they wear. And like, even like, and like how they like wear their hair, like, like Carolina and Nico and, and Molly's like hair changes throughout um, like the six issues. Like when, like when they come to Carolina in like her dorm room, she's got like the two um, like ponytails or whatever. And then like when she comes to, to Nico, like in the, whatever the fifth, fifth or sixth issue, when they're going to like go and get, um, go and get Molly um like her hair is like down but also like in a bo- like in a bob at the top and then like like Nico's hair changes like when she's like frustrated trying to cook ramen in the first issue she's got her hair up in a bun and then like in the next few issues like she's got it down like she would normally wear it and like she looks like she shops at grown up hot topic and it makes sense and um and Chase looks like a uh a, a man bun fuck boy and it's just like it's all wonderful. They just like they look like real people. They look like who they're supposed to be, and all of that is portrayed through how they how they are dressed and like you know like just how they wear themselves. And Anka does a great job. And and Matt Wilson, like I I think like like I think that Matt Wilson colors all of my favorite books at Marvel, and he just like makes he just sells all of this stuff even more. And yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, so two thoughts. One, um, also like you were saying before. Uh, the details of like what's in the background of their rooms, um, things like that. Those are really um, revealing of character. Um, but like sometimes they're just fun. Like the fact that Molly's like Molly in her room right above her bed, she had uh, a poster of the power pack. And I think that's really funny because isn't Carolina dating Julie power. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. really, yeah, that was cool. Um, yeah, but otherwise, yeah, what you said. <laughs> uh, but then about Matt Wilson, <laughs> um, he won the number two spot on the Multiversity 2018 year-end lists for uh, Best Colorist, and I wrote um, mm-hmm. the write-up for him. And oh, okay. basically what I said, I feel like he is great at just adapting to a whole bunch of different styles, and pretty much any mm-hmm. artist that he works with, he uses a different style of coloring. And he um, he also brings things out in their art that make their art better. And I think yeah. vice versa is also yeah. true. Like anything, like the artists that he works with make his art look better. Um, and so for Chris Anka, he has this interesting coloring style where like, Everything is like flat colors, like it's not a sort of sculpted thing, but everything has texture. Uh, and yeah, and like the everything is very warm and uh, cohesive. Like in every individual panel, it just feels like you have a very definite sense of like, this is what this room feels like. And yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- okay. So I'm I'm I like I said I'm a very online person, <laughs> and so uh, um, Chris Anka is like the king of thirst <laughs> art, 
And, yes. Um, <laughs> and um, I think that people who maybe only know him for like his pinups and things, um, that maybe some of them maybe don't read comics and they don't actually know how good of an artist he is, like as far as sequentials go. Um, I really like Runaways because I think that this is some of his best work. I think the way the panels are laid out, I think the action that flows through them, I think the way the characters look, that's all really good. And it's all just like good comic book art. It's not necessarily thirsty art, which is nice. And I think that just, I just want to point that out because I think that, you know, yes, we all like looking at Jason Momoa pouring water on himself. That's great. But also, we, we <laughs> but we also like, with him, he's he's a comic book artist. This is how he makes his money. This is who he is. And I just, I think that his work in Runaways is really good and it's really consistent. And he's been doing this now, I, which I didn't even think the book came out last year. I honestly thought that book came out this year. I honestly thought it started this year. I didn't realize how far it had mm-hmm. been going. And um, and I think that that's, that's great. I, I really do think he's doing great work on the book and, and I want people to talk about that more and like, can be like yeah well he's very he it's it's good to be good at your job and not just posting really great thirsty art and um so yeah i think chris hank is doing a great job and matt wilson's always good like matt wilson is like really arguably like the best colors like in comics right now he's fantastic and um they've always worked really well together anka has said on twitter like he usually doesn't let anybody color him but he will always let matt wilson color him and i think that's that's saying something so (laughs) for sure for sure yeah like like reading this book, um, like it's like it's like very clear, like 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 Chris Anka's art, but like you could just tell that this is Matt Wilson's colors. Like this looks like all like the color palette, like the way that he colors things, like looks similar to like the way he colors like Russell Dodderman, and like all the Thor books. And like I just think, like you could just like you could just look look at this, and you can tell that it's like it's a Matt Wilson, it's a Matt Matt Wilson colored book. And I just think that they're like as somebody who is less learned in all of the, all of the ways that it takes to like make a comic and like all of the elements and like the theories of how those all play out and, and so on and so forth. Like I love the fact that I can look at this book and I know that it's colored by Matt Wilson without having to, to look at the credits for that. Um, and yeah, I just think that's, I just think that's really, really cool. Uh, yeah. Well, cool. So I just had, I just had a couple more thoughts. I the other the other thing that's really interesting about this book to me too is just like the way that it is sort of like grounded and like continues all these different continuities. Like like we talked about, like it's it's got the stuff from from like the Vision with like Victor, and it's got the stuff from Avengers Arena, and it's like taking all this like Runaways continuity and just continuing to like run with it. But it's still like this is still a book that's sort of on the fringes of continuity. And the Marvel universe. And I just like, I think it uses the continuity to, to its advantage. And I think that's one of the, the reasons that I, I like it a lot too. Like, like, like Ral's not coming in and like, she's writing something new. Like she's writing something that's hers, but she's also like very much referencing everything that's come before. And I just think that she's doing a, a, a really wonderful job in that. And I don't know if you all have thoughts on that also. Um, I don't really, um, but I, I noticed what you said and I think it's just super accessible. Yeah, like I I sort of picked up on when they said like, oh, this happened to us, but it's also like, you don't need to know what happened. It's just like, know that it happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah it's like it's done in a way to not like infringe upon the the reading experience but it's also like because this book came out like at the same time that like runaways season one came out so it's like they could have just sort of like wiped the slate clean and said okay all of you people that have watched this hulu show now come read this book here's here's a new book with these characters but it's like no here's we can reference everything that's come before and also do it in a way that is accessible for people that have never read a runaway and that's really hard to do because like runaways really built itself like it's a brian k vaughn written book so like you know how he writes like he writes sagas like he can't like he doesn't write like a one-off arc and he like passes it on to somebody else like that's just not how his stories are written so like to come in and like do runaways but like do it to where somebody brand new can just jump in that's really special like like i know like we all were kind of in agreement like the the six issues are not like the most exciting things but like it's it's really hard what she does like she she that was that was a task like that was a task <laughs> agreed 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 um yeah well cool do y'all have any other closing thoughts as we transition I'm glad this got me to reread that arc because now i really want to read the second one you should <laughs> it's wonderful jess no, it's great. I, no, it's no. The second arc is great. I I really recommend it. It, it. Like like I said, like it's hard. What what she does is very hard. And I, if you like, are coming off the TV show and and you're like, maybe I should read Runaways. You don't have to read the old one. Like just read this one. Like you you'll get it. It's fine. You're gonna be fine. I promise. Um, yeah. The second arc is really good. I have not started the third one because it's not out yet. It's what on issue fifteen. Mm-hmm. It's issue 16 comes out, I think, this next week. So, yeah, it's so, the, so it's still a little bit away. So, yeah, like, I'm excited yeah. to read, like, the third arc. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but the second arc is good. It's up to 12 is very good. So, yeah. <laughs> rest yeah. assured, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, should I buy, like, the first two? Yes, do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And by, like, by, like, the time that you get to issue 12, you kind of realize, oh, she's got, like, a long-term plan for this. It's not just, like, get the people back together and have them do stuff. It's like, oh, no, there's there's things coming. And... Cool. And and also issue twelve uh, made my top issues of twenty eighteen list for multiversity. So high high praise there. Or not, maybe. I'm a nobody. <laughs> um I trust your judgment. Oh well you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> cool. Well folks, that is it for this fun bonus episode. Um thank you for joining us on our fun foray into uh all of the fun non-comic related non-comic things that marvel has has going for it at the end of this year uh we'll be back next week for our regular december 2018 episode and that will also have more bonus things because we are generous and benevolent gods um our end of 2018 content so be sure to tune into that um but with that Folks, you can find all of us on Twitter. Please tweet at us with the make mine multiversity hashtag or just tweet at us because you think that we might be cool. And we'll hopefully tweet back. Jess has said multiple times this episode. She's a very I'm online a person. I'm a very so online person. <laughs> she will engage with you. Uh, Jess, where can people find you on the larger um, interwebs? You can follow me on Twitter at JessCamNJ um, and also find all my work at Multiversity and also Geeked Out Nation. It's cool. Follow awesome. me. <laughs> Do it. And uh, I'm showing up uh, on multiversitycomic.com as well. And my Twitter, if you want to read tweets about food and high school musical, um, my Twitter is at <laughs> npalmerywrites. 
Oh, I read I read your long feed about High School Musical while I was at work this week. Um, Good. I hope well, it was enlightening. It was. It was. I I, I learned so much about <laughs> about my about my childhood. <laughs> it was it was good it was good it was good content i i was glad that i read it i good edifying it's it's very off topic here but this is high school musical related my sister can still perform many of the dances from like the third movie so take that as you will i still haven't seen the third one but i definitely have a a dance they made a high school musical version of like dance dance revolution so like she knows like she's yeah she like yeah Mm -hmm. so she's like she can still do it it's like been years but she can still do many of the dances (laughs) (laughs) that's so that's wonderful oh my god pretty jealous (laughs) (laughs) nick wishes he could do that i do yeah oh well folks you can find me on twitter at kb gregory 13 and then also at multiversitycomics.com we'll be back in a week from now and see you then